Hi, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for uh, for joining us. It's always so special for me to give these uh, shiurim on uh, on Zoom or Chol Rishon, and to be a part of the beautiful Torah initiatives, the Torah community uh, that the Y community surely feels so proud about. <clears throat> I want to share with you. Normally, if I give a Chol Rishon shiur. You know, this year often is a little bit, uh, you know, longer, 50, 55 minutes, an hour. You know, I'm, I'm sensitive to the fact that over Zoom, um, it, it's hard to stay focused um, for so long. I certainly have a hard time doing so. So I, I want to give like a, a brief presentation about a topic that is uh, very, very meaningful to me on, on many levels. Um, certainly... Um, it, it deals with an area of my own fascination, which is the interplay and the exchange between issues of Torah and mental health, Torah and psychology. Um, and, and it also demonstrates the real eternal nature of our Torah Sekadosha, that themes discussed um, in the times of Noah Hasadik, themes discussed in Chazal, themes of the Avos, some in the most meaningful of ways that that the the same internal landscape, the same conflicts, the same perhaps issues, the same development that the others themselves had to go through, uh, very much mirror and parallel. <laughs> excuse me, <coughs> mirror and parallel um, our own journeys, um, our own inner conflicts. Um, the areas are in our own lives that we find that we need to bring attention to, that we need to address. And and that's always true. You can pick up any pasuk, um, any incident in the Torah, and, and feel um, a real sense of, of something being present in the moment, a real sense of, um, the, the again, the eternal nature of our Torah. So without further ado, I want to jump into the topic. Uh, Daniel, if you're there, I would ask you to uh, to upload and share the uh, the Marmacomos that I sent you. Daniel, so the the there should be a link uh, to the Marmacomos in the chat that everyone can download on their own. I got it. Okay, so if everyone goes to their chat. Seeing that I was born in the early 1970s, I'm very slow at doing these things, but. Um, Daniel, I don't see it here. I'll post it one more time, and then I'll see if I can make you... Anybody uh, Anybody have access to it? Do you see it in the... the do you see it? If you, are you in the chat? It says there's no post. No. No? Okay. That's like a post-it for me. Unless someone... We'll, we'll wait uh, we'll Wait one more second. Daniel, should we just get started? Yeah. Let me see if I can... Do you have access to it? I don't, but um, it says file sent successfully. No one else can see yeah, it. It looks like it looks like you can't different. download. You can't. You can't download it. I tried. Uh-huh. 
Okay, so. <clears throat> um, do you have very last? Do you have do you have the document? I don't. But, okay. Um, I don't have it, but I, I find it. If other people have it, I you know I have it on my. Huh. You can down. It, it is downloadable. It's just coming up. That's a picture, but I didn't get the it's audio. Coming up in a protected file. You have to change the directory. Okay. Okay. Uh, well, I, I'm not able to do that. I, I don't have the sheets in front of me. In a quarter mile, use the left two lanes to turn left onto Mill Road. Okay. Uh, first of all, yeah. So, so you know, instead of sort of wasting time with this, um, I'm going to just assume that people have it in front of them, um, and I'm going to let me just sort of speak out the the Myron McComos, and uh, hopefully, again, you can follow um, along. Got it for a second. Um, Here's the left two lanes to turn left. I would please ask to everyone, please, please yourselves, if you don't mind. Thank you. Um, and then, um, you know, please feel free to, to chime in and unmute yourself if you want to contribute. Okay, so what I want to talk about is, is a, a very famous uh, Rashi, and it's a, a Rashi quoting the Medrash, as Rashi um, almost always does. And this Rashi is very much part of a theme of essentially Chazal's um, assessment of Noach, right? Of course, if a person would just read the Psukim themselves about Noach, uh, the Torah says explicitly he's an Ish Tzaddik, but the Torah gives enough clues to the fact that Noach himself was a complicated person by calling Noach an Ish Adama, by Yachon Noach, Ish Adama, uh, other things as well um, that, that paints a more complicated picture of Noach that essentially opens up the doorway to Chazal um, painting a picture of Noach that was complicated, right? Um, in, in, in a way that is fascinating. It's fascinating um, sort of the how Chazal amplifies um, and expands certain personality traits that the Torah might be dropping hints about. And, and probably the uh, one of the most significant Mamari Chazal on this topic is, of course, the Pasuk in Perak Zion, Pasuk Zion, that says that Noach Uvanov Beishto Unishevanov that they, they entered into the Teva, Noach and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives, they entered into Teva Mipne Mehamabul. Mipne Mehamabul because of the waters of the flood. And Chazal picking up on this language of Mipne Mehamabul, so Chazal and Rashi quotes says Noach Miktani Amunahava. Noach was a person of uh, diminished faith. Um, he believed, but he didn't fully believe. And of course, again, a very famous Rashi. Everyone here, I'm sure, is familiar with that Rashi. Noach believed that he didn't believe. I mentioned in, in uh, our, our shul in Muncie many years ago, I see some people here from Gilas um, Basihuda, the shul I used to be the Ravin in Wesley Hills that I had heard in the name of Rav Soloveitchik many years ago, and I never saw this in print, and I have a hard time believing that the Rav said this. It's just, it's a very Hasidic idea. Um, if anybody wants to chat me privately, if they've heard the same idea as well, um, so feel free to do so. But namely that the, the Rav said that the proper way of, of learning that Rashi or the Medrash is not to say that Noach Mikitane Amuna Hava Mamin ve'ino mamin she'yavu mehamabul, 
but rather the Noach Bikitane Amuna Havimamin. Noach believed in those people of diminished faith. He believed in the people of generation, Kama. And as a result, he didn't believe that the Mabel was going to come. Now, that's a very different take. That's a take that says that Noah believed so much in, in the people that he didn't believe the water was going to come. That's sort of a very much like a, uh, a Kedushas Levi, a Levi Yitzhak Meberdichiv, of giving the, the benefit of the doubt. But either way, the Rashi stands as it is, namely that Noah didn't totally believe that the flood was going to come. And most Rishonim pick up on the theme of Rashi. Um, for instance, the, um, the uh, <coughs> excuse me, the Ibn Ezra says that uh, because they were afraid of the water, they were afraid of the flooding. Um, they came into the Teva um, because of the fear of the water that was coming. Um, and the Cheskuni, again, sort of fulfills that picture, completes that picture. And the Cheskuni says, he didn't go into the Teva because he was commanded to. He didn't go into the Teva because he was authorized to, because he knew he was supposed to go, but rather he went because of the flood, again, showing some diminished amuna on the part of Noah Hatzadik. Now, anybody know which Rishon disagrees with Rashi? Which Rishon takes a different opinion? So the Radak actually says that Noah entered into the Teva seven days before the flood came. And he says, I guess, that the word, he doesn't say this explicitly, but one is left to think that the word mipnei mehababul, according to the Radak, actually means lifnei mehababul, before the waters even came. And then the Radak said, he's not sure why Rashi or the Medrash is taking this more negative, negative perspective, has this more negative impression the Torah testifies to the fact that Noah was the Ish Sadiq. So why would Chazal then go ahead and say something that sounds in any way pejorative, any way negative, um, and say that Noah only came in once the water started? So the Radak affirmed the position that said that Noah was a full Sadiq, he was a true Sadiq, and he came into the Teva seven days in advance. Now, if we go with the opinion of Rashi and of the Medrash, Chizkuni, the Ben Ezra, that in fact what the Torah is demonstrating is that Noah was a person who was Katana Yamuna. So then all the Mepharshim, almost with one voice, certainly all the 20th century Mepharshim and all of the 19th century Hasidish Asfarim, they all ask the following question and the obvious question, right? Ah, Daniel, look at you. Okay, everyone can see that now? Okay. Daniel? Okay. Yeah, you want me to scroll down? Yeah, um, just scroll down a little bit so that the top source is source number uh, number six. Okay, thank you so much. So the, the, uh, the all the before Shim, they say, wait, hold on one second. If we already know that Noah was a person of real tzitkos and Noah spent 120 years of his life um, involved in the building of the Teva, and he gave his entire life to the uh, the fulfillment of the Dvar Hashem, how do we, you know, understand, or how do we integrate and amalgamate, on the one hand, a person living life with this great level of faith, right? On the other hand, 
um, doing something that maybe demonstrated a diminished faith? Like, how could how could both things coexist? So, man, the first they have a hard time um, understanding sort of that duality. So, the Bartanur, for instance, on Chumash, okay, if you make this a little bit bigger for those of us in, uh, in middle age and beyond, okay, thank you so much. So, the Bartanur says, Mipnei mehamabul. So afnoch miktani amunahaya, quoting Medrash. So kasha, it's very difficult. Hello He was a righteous person. How could it be that he was uh, in any way doubtful of the uh, of, of God's um, decree and God's promise that the Mabel was going to come? So he says, al Seeing that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, um, many times we have the HaKadosh Baruch Hu forgave the people, right, which means that he either forgave or he changed his mind. So it wasn't that Noach had diminished faith. It wasn't that the Noach did not have a moon on HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He did have a moon on HaKadosh Baruch Hu, but he kept on sort of waiting for God to change his mind and, and only entered into the Teva when he saw that that... Um, change of recourse was not going to take place. So that change of course was not going to take place. So Noach Samuna was pristine, but he also believed in Echashvarchu's capacity to forgive and, and didn't sort of give up on God's capacity to forgive until he entered into the Teva. Okay? So that's sort of a way of keeping true to the Medrash, keeping true to the Rashi, but explaining the Rashi in a way that's not pejorative. Noach didn't have a Muna that the rain was going to come, but it's not because he didn't have a Muna, just he felt that God was going to um, change course. Okay, that's the perspective of the Baratanura. Now, what's fascinating is the perspective brought down by the O of Yisrael. This is also uh, shared by many of the Hasidish Shisfarim. Um, it's also shared by Rav Schwab, who uh, obviously uh, is not a Hasidish Shisfar at, at all. Um, but it's sort of shared by different people. And namely, that perspective is essentially flying in the face of the, the Pashtus of the Medrash that says that Noach was Katani Amuna. It's like these farms say, we don't believe that. We don't accept it. We don't want to hear about it. We don't want to even think about this possible idea that Noach was Katani Amuna. Therefore, we're going to totally change our interpretation of sort of Chazal Rashi, because of the fact that we simply cannot tolerate um, the idea that Noah was a person of diminished faith. So if you take a look at this idea, and we'll read through it quickly, it's a very, very easy, uh, in general, the Sefer of the Aptarav, the Ov Yisrael. Um, it was called the Ov Yisrael because uh, the Aptarav was known uh, for constantly being a Malamit Tzchosnik. Right? Uh, for those of you who, who know the uh, Machlis family in Eretz Yisrael, uh, of course, Rabbi Tzmachlis was an uh, in, in Isha uh, Tzadekes of the highest order. Um, she was Nifteres uh, maybe six, seven years ago. So I went to the uh, the Machlises for Shabbos on several occasions. And the Machlis, Rabbi Machlis, they lived somewhere in the area of like Maladafna, around there. And then we would walk to the old city for davening um, on Shabbos morning. And any car that drove by, so Rabbi Machlis would call out to the car, Mazel Tov. Namely, that his assumption was that if there's a Jew driving to Shalim and Chavez, they must be going to the hospital to deliver a baby. So he was yelling on Masav to all the cars that were passing. That gives you a little bit of a taste and in a different type of way 
of sort of the, the Svarim of the Aptarav, the Ov Yisrael, a little bit of Kushas Levi, so these Hasidish Svarim that, that almost refuse to see the bad um, in people and certainly to see the bad in Anashim Gedolim and the Avos and Imahos. So based on that, so let's take a look. Daniel, if you're still there, if you can make it a little bigger, uh, we would appreciate it. Okay, great. Thank you, Daniel, so much. I appreciate it. Okay, awesome. Um, so he says the following. Let's just read this together really quickly. So, Until the water forced him into the Teva. It's a it's a great pella, it's a great wonder, to to suspect Noah of being a person of diminished faith by Shemizbarah. There are two different interpretations to the word amuna. Aleph, Kipshuto. Simple explanation, which is Hamanas Hadavar It's a simple explanation that we are confident that whatever it is, the thing is, is going to happen. I believe X. I believe Mashiach will come. I believe that that's like, that's a moon on the most sort of simple shotten. So, Odiyesh Lomar, but let me tell you a different shot. That Mordechai raised and brought forth Hadassah. He brought Hadassah sort of into adulthood. He brought Esther into adulthood. That's a language of drawing forward and building up. That when a person has faith, it's not just faith that something's going to happen, but it's faith that by my actions, I am going to bring whatever the consequences into the world. If I really believe that something's going to happen, I have the power of changing sort of the mitzvahs and the reality. Because or based my muna, I can bring whatever the thing is from its makor v'yavo and bring it into the world. So Hainu Ayadeshu Mamin Bashamizborah Botech Bobamunishlema Al Shum Ezadavar, I have a moon on a certain thing, as Nimsha Khadavar Hu Babishlemus. My Amuna can actually impact whatever it is that's going on in the world. Noah had full Amuna in what God told him. That the flood was going to come, he did not hesitate. With all of his heart, he was a full mammon. With all of his soul, with full, complete faith. But he was he was hesitant to believe with full faith. With all of his heart. Because he was afraid that if he fully believed that the flood was going to come, he would be the one responsible for actually bringing the water um, onto the universe, into fruition, the mabel to fruition. So, if he would believe fully in the water coming, he might bring the water into consequence, he might bring the water um, into fruition, 
And therefore, when we say that Noach was Mikitani Munab, it's not that he didn't believe it, but he was afraid to believe it because he didn't want him to be the reason of why the flood came, right? So was Noach a full mammon? He was a full mammon. But he didn't want to go ahead and be the responsible party that that to, to bring the war to fruition because, in fact, he did believe it so much. So he was sort of like, no, maybe it wouldn't happen, maybe this, maybe that, just so that, just so that, that the water would not uh, come in full force. Okay. Now, those of you who are following along at home, um, anybody have a, a thought about this idea of the Aptarov, the Elvisrael? And feel free to mute yourself if there's anything you want to contribute towards it. Now, I would just say that when you read something like that, um, part of your brain is probably saying, oh, that's really nice. That's a very beautiful idea. Part of your brain might be saying, well, it's really not true. Is that really what Rashi means? When they say that Noah was a Katani Amuna, it means that he had full faith but he simply didn't want to believe it because he didn't want to be responsible for bringing the water forward. Is that really what Rashi means? And I think it's a demonstration of the fact that in general, Hasidic Shesvarim are looking for like different layers of truth, right? Probably the layer of truth in the level of Pashtos might've been, there might be some diminished faith. And then like the deeper level, maybe Noah self-conscious or maybe um, like a deeper level of, of sort of the best side of Noah's religious personality, right? Hasidic Shasvarim are not trying to disregard the Pashtus, but maybe it's trying to sort of fill in like different dimensions of, of that picture, so to speak. Okay, so it, it, it's complicated because, you know, uh, sort of in, in Hasidic Shasvarim, you want to read them and enjoy them, but also realize that's not giving the Pashtos and how to sort of realize that what it's trying to do is to to sort of fill out like a, a, a different, maybe fuller picture of that religious personality. So, so far we saw two Pshatim. The Pshat number one is the Bartanura. The Bartanura says that Noah really did have faith. Um, however, um, he also believed that maybe Kodesh Baruch was going to uh, be menachem, or to sort of forgive. And then the Aftarav will give like a totally different shot, being Malamid's chus on, on Noach. But I want to maybe give like a, a third shot that I think is sort of much more sort of the simple Pashtus of Rashi. And before doing so, I want to highlight a, a very fascinating Torah Tamimo. So let's take a look in, in Chumash. Um, of course, this is from Parshas Vayeshev, a Pasuk that's familiar to everyone on this uh, shir. So Vayhika Yom Hazdev, Vayavo Habaisa that Yosef came home to do his work, and there was nobody home, right? There was no man who was home. He came home, and of course, we know that Rashi quotes two opinions in the Gemara and Sota. So, he came home to do his work, Ravu Shmuel, there's a between the early Amorayim, one person says that he came home to literally do his work, whatever Yosef's job was, to fold the laundry, to prepare dinner. So the other opinion says that he came home, very plainly, he came home in order to fulfill his uh, desire for Aisha's Potiphar. He came home to be intimate with the wife of Potiphar. So the Gemara says the following. The Torah Tumimus says the following. 
Obviously, we are medayek that Yosef came home to do his tzrachav, to fulfill his taiva from the very fact that there was nobody else in the house. The very fact that the Torah is telling us that there's no one else in the house is creating a context and is giving us a roadmap as to what the motivations of Noah were. And it must be that he came home um, in order to be intimate with the wife of Potiphar. But Zohar Tamima continues, if everyone can, can uh, just sort of find a place, it's a fascinating Torah Tamima. V'yesh l'hayer b'zel of himashikosu b'shabes daf tzadizayin amiralif al ha-pasuk d'parashis v'aloscha v'yichar, excuse me, v'yichar af Hashem bam, because Baruch Hu was angry at them, obviously speaking about by Miriam and Aaron, so So we see from here, from the Pasuk, that we see that even Aaron had Saras. So You are going to have to pay the consequences for castigating Aaron HaKohen, the Pasuk does not say that Aaron had Saras. All it says was that God was mad at both of them. Rabbi Kiva, how can you come ahead and infer from that Pasuk and, and, and cast dispersions on Aaron HaKohen that he also had Saras? Shegalisa Mashatora Hisasa. You revealed that which Torah hid. Why do you have to reveal something negative that is not there? So Zartimiba continues, So that's the case, so then I'm going to ask the question, Why is either Robert Shmuel coming out and saying something negative about Yosef, that he that he went to do his, his business, so to speak, but that's not what the Torah itself reveals. Okay? Specifically, Mamish. Okay, this the Safari has like a mind of its own, so it sort of messed it up. When you can explain it in a way that is positive about Noah, uh, about Yosef, why would you then go ahead and explain it in a way that was negative about Yosef? Why would you sort of take such approach? Okay, so just like Rabbi Yehuda ben Becerra was critical of Rabbi Kiva, so too, why would we go ahead and take a negative approach about Yosef? So this is a great line of the Torah Bima, the Adarab, just the opposite. This just adds to the greatness of Noah, okay, or the greatness of Yosef, excuse me. Sha'afa became that despite the fact that Yosef had a very strong taiva, Yosef wanted to be intimate with Aish's Potifara. That is in fact why he came home to the house. Kivesh is Yitzro the Amabinisayon. He was able to overcome that Nisayon. I mean, the point of the Torah Tamima is, is that to say explicitly that the Avos or that Yosef dealt with a certain challenge, that itself is not a Ganai. That's not something we have to back away from. That's not something that we have to be ashamed about. We can say, yes, Yosef was a human being. He was a man. He had certain needs. He came home to fulfill those needs. At the end, he was able to, you know, is able to sort of overcome that. But to sort of speak about that, it's not something that is a genai. If anything, it's sort of a shvach of Noah, of, of Yosef. Now, that being said, let's turn our attention um, to Noah.
Namely, the first two approaches in different ways, the Bartanura and also the Apturav, shied away from looking at it straight in the face and saying, yes, Noah perhaps went through a crisis of faith in that moment. Okay? And we're not going to shy away from that. We're not going to apologize for that. We don't think that that diminishes Noah, the fact that, yeah, perhaps there was a crisis of faith. And, and let's sort of speak about that. So the Birchas Peretz, the, the stipler in his Sefer, he said, how could it be that a person of such faith, how could it be that a person of, of such uh, amuna that he built a teva for 120 years, um, he obviously believed in God, um, et cetera, et cetera. How could it be that there was a diminishment of faith that he didn't go into the teva until the water came? And he said very simply, something that all of us live with on a daily basis, namely that there is a huge difference between amuna sikhlit, that which I know in my brain, that which I comprehend, that which I understand, my objective knowledge of a situation, versus amuna chushit, that which I feel. How would you best define that? Amuna chushit? That's like amuna shebeklayim, the amuna that I feel in my gut. Amuna sikhlit, Noach believed, meyachuz, 100%, the flood was going to come, based on that amuna sikhlit, he built the teva. The amuna chushit of, in my deep down, in my core, do I fully believe it? There perhaps Noach struggled, and, and therefore because perhaps he struggled, he did not enter the teva right away. Now this Gemara, by the way, in Brachos, um, highlights and demonstrates sometimes sort of the duality that we have in our faith with the Kaddish Baruch Hu, right? So we have the Gemara in Brachos that says, Amulo, when uh, Yochman Zaka was dying, Rabbeinu Barchenu, so please, uh, Rabbi, please bless us. So Amr Lahem, Yiratzon Shetahei, Mora Shemayim Aleichem, Kemora Basavradam. You should be as conscientious, sort of the Yamuna Chushit. You should have such deep down faith in God as you do, as you're conscious in front of Basavradam. So Amr Lahamidav, Adkan, that's your bracha to us, that we should have as much fear or faith in God as we do in the people around us. So he answers, and by the way, just if there are people who are on screen who are sort of walking around, if you can maybe just turn off your camera so we're not distracted by your your movements, we would appreciate it. So Riyokman Zakai answers Ulavai, right? How Levai that you should have as much fear and conscientiousness and faith in God as you might in the people around you. When a person violates an Avera, excuse me, so then he basically says, I hope nobody sees me. I mean, the point is that that person can have full faith in God, but on the level of the Amuna Chushit, there's something missing, right? And therefore, because there's something missing on the level of Amuna Chushit, the Amuna of one's Kishkas, so they become more conscious of what other people think about them than perhaps how they are perceived in the eyes of a Kodesh Baruch Hu. Now, to go a little bit deeper into this idea, this Chilik, of the Birchaz Peretz, of the stipler, I want to show you a beautiful, beautiful idea from my favorite sefer in Chomish, the Chedusha Alev of Henek Leibwitz. And his Hebrew is incredibly striking, incredibly beautiful, and it's also pretty easy. So we're going to sort of move through um, pretty quickly. So he says, Kan mitorer tatmiya. I'll keep my Ashkenazis. Kan mitorer tatmiya. Here we can sort of raise a question. 
איך ייתכן שנוח לא האמין שהיה יובי המבור, יובו המבור? How could it be that Noach did not believe that God was going to bring the mabul? Pari Noach tzadik haya, again, the same question, Noach was a person of righteousness. Ve'i lov haisa nevua me'ezach ha'shvarach hu'sheyeh mabul. He had a, a, a prophecy and he had a complete conversation, direct conversation, the mabul was going to come. Fu'atzmo tarach ve'hichin teva meshach me'a ve'esrim shana. He himself spent 120 years <coughs> excuse me, building the Teva, not only that, he gave Tocha to the people of a generation during those years. <coughs> excuse me. Tochein <coughs> So how could it be that that same person who believed fully and, and, and spent his life dedicated to a certain mission, how could that person also be Mekitani Amuna? So Nitzarech Lomar, we're forced to say, that even though in his Seichel, and in his, in his thought, even though he fully believed that there would be a Mabel, so Baram believed that there would be a he didn't fully believe it in his heart. Ki adua, and this is a great line for those of you that are sort of following along. This is a great line to, to underline if you have the saver at home. Shehadas v'halev shnei olamos nifrados him. The seichel, the intelligence, the brain and the heart are two different worlds. V'rechokim heim azem nizek yorachov mizrach mimarov. And the, the gap between the heart and the mind is the same distance between the horizon on the east and the horizon on the west. And of course, this is something that all of us know about in our lives. I objectively believe something. I intellectually believe something. I know something. But that, that has not penetrated into the, the deep, deep recourses of my soul and my heart. So, okay, Nikra Noach, Miktani Amuna. Therefore, because it didn't totally penetrate down into the deep recesses of his heart, down into the rikshe libo, the, the stirrings of his heart, he didn't have a full, a full belief. He was still missing a certain measurement of faith. So in order to get to a place of full muna, where he could go into the teva even before the water came. Now listen to the rest of this, um, uh, you'll, you'll notice this is underlined and bolded. If it's just underlined, it's a, an important idea. If it's underlined and bolded, in my own uh, humble opinion, it is something worth photocopying, thinking about, and returning back to. Okay, everyone with me? So he says, if, if that's true, let us ask a question. If, in fact, intellectually, Noach knew the Mabel was going to come, why did he not enter into the Teva until the water came? If I intellectually believe something is happening, even if I don't feel it down in my soul, 
Now, I want to ask you an opinion uh, for those of you who uh, perhaps lived through the in Israel during the Gulf War, right, back in uh, January of 1991. Okay, you may have certain doubts or questions, but let's say uh, you objectively hear that missiles are being sent um, towards B'nai Brak or towards the area on Tel Aviv, okay? Wouldn't you say, it is worth me going down to the shelter? It is worth me, um, and again, I'm, I'm going to ask people, if people are walking around or moving around, if you can please, please turn off your screens so we're not all watching you doing that, okay? Wouldn't you say that it's objectively valuable to go down to the bomb shelter and to put on your your uh, your gas mask, just even if your belief is only an intellectual belief, right? And that's it. Right? Shouldn't that be enough? An intellectual belief of something wouldn't that be enough to mandate um, certain behavior? I, I intellectually know something is true. I objectively know something is true. I had a nevua. Um, I believe that that it is going to happen, at least on an intellectual level. Madulo Hichlit, why would that not be enough? Bedaito, um, in his brain, again, Rav Chalakliwit says, Shegi hashali kanei Shouldn't just the intellectual, the intellectual knowledge be enough to animate behavior? Okay. Everyone hear that? So he answers, Mukhrachim Anulomar, we are therefore forced to say, Mikavan should believe that seeing that emotionally, spiritually, in one's heart, so that he was missing some Hargasha Shlema, some complete full feeling, the Hagmura Al Mabul, on the fact that the Mabul was coming. There was some emotional, spiritual Peace that was missing. His subjective emotional lack of amuna impacted his intellectual perception of the situation. Because in my heart, I don't believe something is, gonna, is happening, therefore it changes my objective perception of that situation. The Garmelo, and it affected him, to make a mistake. In his cheshvon, ulahachli shadayin lohigia hashaa liika neisalateva, and therefore, because emotionally, I don't believe something. Emotionally, Noach didn't believe something. Therefore, it changed his objective perception of his decision to enter or to not enter into the teva. Ubikan mucha chiddush gadol. This is a tremendous chiddush, and please, I ask you to, I invite you to join me in looking at these last two lines. When a person has a small feeling, a small bias, a small emotional chush about something, even if it's a, a feeling that is a hargasha daka shabadaka, the most subtle, the most minimal, that is entrenched deep into the feelings of his heart, so that internal, internal feeling, so to speak, even if it's daka shabadaka, even if it's very subtle, can affect, can impact um, in a very deleterious and very detrimental way, the objective thinking, even of a person who is a, a great sadik and a navi. 
namely the internal blind spots, the rich shades you believe, the subconscious of a person, even when it's subtle, it can affect even objective thinking about a person. Okay? So I want to ask you for a moment to maybe process that idea, to think about that idea. Um, it is an enormously meaningful. Um, to me, it's, it's exceptionally on point. And I want to ask you to process a little bit, and, and uh, Daniel, if you're there, if you can maybe take off exactly. Thank you very much. And people are even by their cameras, so they want to turn their cameras on, so we can just spend this last sort of few minutes like in the in this shared um, sort of space together, so to speak, to sort of think maybe and ask you to reflect on your own life. Where is it, or what are the areas in your life where you can relate to this idea of Rehenek Leibowitz? Namely, that there is some internal regesh, daka shibadaka, very subtle, but that it affects our objective perception, it affects our objective sense of ourselves or of the world, the things that are subterranean, that are sort of beyond the level of the consciousness. And I'd like to maybe just even think about three areas to, and ask you to think about those areas as well. You know, one area certainly is what Repentically, which was speaking about, the idea of bitachon. People give, and I don't say this in a pejorative way, people give a certain lip service of faith, and I believe, and amun, and bitachon. It's asking people if they can, uh, unless you're contributing, to please mute yourself. Thank you, everybody. Okay. And, and people give a certain maybe lip service to the idea of a munad, and people do have a munad. I, I do believe, and I do believe in in uh, in bitacho and of, of God running the world. But sometimes, like when the the, the pedal uh, meets the metal, so to speak, you know, if that if that's the right expression, uh, when the rubber hits the road, whatever the the right expression might be, you know, somebody you're you're in business and you run a certain company. And then somebody comes in, the Chazanish gives this example, and they open a similar business. And instead of sort of having the attitude of, my parnasa comes from Kodesh Baruch I'm going to work hard, it's going to take care of it. Before you know it, there's lawsuits, and there's arguments, and there's protests, right? Meaning, in other words, Amuna is really great until it taps into some deep internal fear. And at that moment, the internal fears... And they might only be a regesh daka shebedaka. That's sort of what takes over. So objectively, do I believe? Yes. Intellectually, do I believe? Yes. But often we're dictated not by those objective levels of faith, but sort of the internal sort of stirrings that are sort of maybe in a person's subconscious that often carries much greater weight. <clears throat> Another example, of course, are issues of when a person deals with any type of anxiety, Right. And the very way that we would lay out anxiety is a person who says, objectively, I know, let's say a person has some type of social anxiety. I know that I can walk into that room and objectively, I'll be fine. I can talk to people. I can shake hands with people. I can introduce myself to people. I've done it a million times before. I know how to talk to people, right? That's like the objective intellectual level that in theory could or should dictate how we show up to life. But there's some deep subterranean level within ourselves that some voice that says, I, I can't do it. I can't go in there. 
What am I going to say? Where am I going to stand? Who am I going to talk to? I'm going to look like a fool. I'm going to be at this wedding. I'm going to have a piece of uh, chicken between my teeth. I'm going to look stupid. The subterranean level of the non-objective um, piece of ourselves ends up then dictating and changes the whole objective perception of the world. It changes our capacity to think objectively about about our lives and about what's in front of us. And perhaps most powerfully, that this subterranean level, the Hargosha Daka Shabadaka Omokalev, impacts us and affects us when it comes to our own perception of self. You know, one of my jobs in, in the world, as, as uh, if you received, I guess, the, the bio about the Shia, is that I'm a Mashkiach Ruchani in YU. A Mashkiach Ruchani essentially means, uh, usually when people meet me, they'll hear the Mashkiach, so the first thought is that I'm the person who's blessing the food in the kitchen. Uh, that's not, I, I leave that to far more uh, qualified people than myself to give the hashkach in the kitchen. But Mashkiach Ruchani, of course, means dealing with people with their own personal dilemmas, personal dilemmas of faith, of uh, career, of relationships, of career, whatever it is that a person is going through. So the mashkiach tries to, the mashkiach yeshiva tries to be there for that. Probably the thing that, that I deal with most in the world um, in my position as mashkiach are issues of feelings of self, feelings of inadequacy, feelings of insecurity, and there's something very fascinating that I, I try to highlight um, to the Tamidim, and I'm sure this applies to many people on this uh, on this shear as well. Let's say you take Talmud X. We'll call him uh, Yosef. And you would ask Yosef, are you a smart person? He would say, yeah, you know, thank God I'm a smart person. Um, are you successful in what you're doing in school and in learning? Yeah, I probably am. Do you have friends? Yeah, Baruch Hashem, thank God I have a lot of friends. Are you objectively a good-looking, decent person? Yeah, objectively, right? And you start going through the entire list of intellectually, objectively, how a person should feel about themselves. But that's not the machria. That is not what is creating the reality. What's creating the reality in a person is the the daka shebedaka, the rikshe halev, the omakalev, a deep down feeling about oneself that typically 95% of the time, 98% of the time, if, more, if not more, comes from childhood experiences, comes from not um, having emotional needs being met or a sense of security being developed or a secure attachment being developed when a person was a child. They were never given a proper sense of affirmation about themselves. And then you can go through the rest of your life and objectively say, yes, I have all the reasons in the world why I should feel good about myself. But the regesh v'omakalev is sending a different signal to my brain of how I do feel about myself or how I should perceive the objective reality of my life. That's really what Hedef Leibowitz is saying, that the subjective feeling affects the objective reality um, in a person's existence. And we see that over and over and over and over again. That a person lives life objectively, intellectually, but what really dictates their experience about life is something far, far, far deeper um, into the sort of the subconscious of a person. Now, I'm just sort of leaving that for you to think about. Um, anybody want to unmute themselves or uh, contribute towards that? But then the real question is, 
how do I navigate that? If what Hennekli was saying is true, or what I'm saying might be true, how do I come to a point in my life of shlemus, where the bitachon that I speak about, the bitachon that I have objectively, is felt berig shehalev. The course of action that I want to take in my life is what dictates, as opposed to anxious thinking. My sense of self that I should have based on the objective reality of my life should dictate my sense of self as opposed to some internal negative voices that rear their head. How does a person spend their life working on themselves? And it's really work, whether it's be through discussions with friends, whether it's through self-reflection, maybe through having a, a rub they're close with, through therapy, through a lot of sort of self-development, of really understanding the deeper pieces of our life that impact and affect our decisions and the way that we show up to the world. And that, again, as I said, that's work, but it's enormously gratifying work. That's the work of allowing the person to really have a shlemus, that my outer world, my intellectual world, exists incongruous or congruous in, in, in lockstep with my inner reality with that inner hergesh of myself. That's true shleimus adam And out of that shleimus adam comes enormous, genuine joy of sort of living a fullness between the objective, sort of superficial level of my life and the eternal, often subconscious, subterranean level yeah. of my life. And bringing together those pieces is what creates shleimus again and creates tremendous joy. I encourage anybody that ever wants to sort of reach out to me personally, just to sort of either reflect on this or maybe give some of your own experiences or thoughts or to ever talk about these issues. And again, thank you so much for, for joining us. Thank you for all the sponsors. I want to give a special shout out to my close friend, Terry Herrenstein. Thank you for all of your efforts on behalf of the uh, Yeshiva University. And I look forward to joining together, learning in person and on Zoom uh, many, many times together in the future. Call to everyone. Thank you. Good to see you, everyone.